So yeah, so I've been out a whole three and a half months, and um, <laughs> so the deanster asked me to come and talk to you a little bit about what um, kind of the, the job application process is and things I wish I would have known prior to that. And so I guess this this talk's kind of tailed or mostly for the the third years, but uh, I don't know. You guys are going to be there quick, second and first years before you know it. So. Um, but I'm not going to talk about what group's better, you know, Kaiser versus CEP versus per diem. It's just basically what uh, experiences I had, and I'll kind of talk about the little community hospital Garden Grove, um, and just kind of go from there. But anyway, I just want to start right off by saying, you know, relax. You're very, very well trained here. Um, I feel very comfortable um, working there. <coughs> um, I you know, everyone, I think, prior to their first couple shifts is attending. It's very nerve-wracking and you kind of lose some sleep but every shift gets easier and I just want to reiterate that we are very well trained here and you should be very confident um, yeah exactly <laughs> so in my opinion you can take my advice or leave it but in my opinion where you live is the most important thing for me um, I really like surfing, the beach, so I didn't really want to move far away from Orange County because my family's here and I like the weather. But I don't know, you might like to snowboard, you might like camping, whatever. But in my opinion, I think it's really important to kind of establish where you want to live primarily and then look for a job around that area and decide how far you want to commute. Um, Fox commutes all the way from San Clemente, which is like, I don't know, 40 minutes or something, I guess. Um, another big decision is academic versus community. So you're surrounded by academic uh, MDs all day long, so they're a much better resource than me. Uh, if you like teaching, you like research, um, that might be a better route for you. But <coughs> I'm just going to be specifically talking about the community um, jobs and uh, kind of what I found in, uh, when I researched jobs and things like that. So <coughs> get a feel from the job market in the area you want to work. The best way to do this is to, to talk to alumni. That's what I did. Um, we have alumni everywhere. Um, very happy to talk to you, like me. Um, BC, and I think maybe Dr. Boysen, Osborne, sorry. Um, probably has a list of the, the, the grads that can help you. Check out the hospital websites, and this is really for when you're on the interview. <coughs> Make sure you kind of, <laughs> it's just like interviewing for any other job. So make sure you kind of go online and just figure out, you know, maybe the hospital has something unique about it. Um, just kind of read up on that so you sound like you're, you've read about the hospital, so you seem interested. Um, I do that every time. <coughs> and um, the, the websites, some of them are horrible. Some of them are pretty good. Um, contact ED directors, but don't be the annoying person who's calling every day or sending them emails every other day. Um, that looks bad. So just maybe, you know, so interested in this job, please let me know if I can add anything or send you anything else. Um, thanks for your time, Dean Ibrahim. That's what I'd recommend. <coughs> um, so things to consider when you're, gonna, when you're applying for your job. Do you want to work per diem or do you want to go on the partnership track? So Sam Cooper, I was just with Sam Cooper, who's working per diem at Cedar sinai <coughs> And I tried to get him here because he'd be a really good resource because he has a lot of input. Um, per diem, as you know, you basically, you don't have a partnership track. You're working per diem. You go from different hospitals, primarily you're, you're usually paid a lot more, um, but again, there's no partnership track. And what the partnership track is, 
after you work for, I don't know, two, three, four, five years, depending, you get certain benefits, whether it's higher pay, whether they pay for your malpractice insurance, whether you get stock in the company, I don't know. But anyway, after you put in a certain amount of time, you get these benefits. <coughs> um, I went with CEP, it's a partnership track, primarily because I know I want to live here. If you don't know where you want to live, um, you want to kind of get a feel for different hospitals, different communities even, you can work per diem. You can always, it's, o it's okay to, if, if you are established in a, in a partnership track, it's okay to work at other locations. So our director at Garden Grove um, also does a few shifts per diem at um, Mission. So you can always do that. Um, what else? Some, <coughs> and then other things to consider <coughs> if you want to do the partnership track is how many shifts are required a month, um, the hours per shift. Um, ours is uh, 12 to 14 shifts a month. Is how many hours? They're eight hours. Yeah. So just some things to think about. <coughs> and other things to consider, what's the coverage like? How many docs are on with you? Garden Grove's single coverage all day. But um, there's, you know, it can be three docs on at one time. There can be one. What is the admission rate? And th this is actually pretty important because this is going to tell you how sick your patients are. So one of the questions during your interview I strongly recommend uh, is what's the admission rate? UCI <coughs> admits, a, I think, about a quarter of their patients, about 25%, at least when I was here a couple months ago. <laughs> um, Garden Grove admits between 15 and 18%. So the acuity is lower, so we're not seeing as sick of patients. If you've got a hospital that admits 50% of the people, you're going to be you know, seeing really, really sick people. So it's, important. it's an important question, I think. <coughs> it's, uh, it's good to know who's on the on-call panel, what specialties. UCI has everything. And once you, if you are like me and work at this little podunk community hospital, you're going to find that there's maybe like four or five different specialties available for you. And that becomes a significant problem when you get crashing patients and <laughs> you have no help. Uh, and that's why it's good to work near UCI, so you just send your patients to... <laughs> to Dr. Suchard. And, uh, anyway, <laughs> we, had a, we had a patient three days ago. It was a lady who had a um, colonoscopy, and they took two polyps out. And she came in just hemorrhaging out of her bottom. So we started transfusing her. She was still, her vital signs were still good. We started transfusing her blood, and we don't have GI. And so I'm on the phone with the, or the secretaries, basically calling GI people in the area, trying to get someone to come in to help this lady. Almost going to transfer you guys to UCI, but finally, the last minute, someone came in. So that becomes a problem. It's something that we're not used to working at a tertiary care center. So the on-call panel is important. Um, <coughs> if you're going to decide to do the partnership track, figure out how long it's going to be. Um, good way to kind of ask this question, I think, is just to ask who's ever interviewing you. You know, who? What's what's the difference going to be if I'm you know a first you know a freshman right out of training versus what's going to be the difference 10 years from now? Is it going to be pay? Is it going to be, like I already said, like are they going to pay for malpractice or medical insurance, that kind of thing? Did you find so, that some places were harder to define what their partnership track is? It's kind of squirrely a little bit? No, no, it's very well established. Yeah. Yep. Um, and again, what are the benefits? So just some things to think about. Um, Things to look into, I'd strongly recommend getting disability insurance. It's not required for a lot of places, but um, strongly recommend it. Obviously, medical insurance, you need malpractice insurance is another issue. <coughs> a lot of the per diems, um, you have to fund your own malpractice. 
if you work for a CEP, for example, and I think a couple other ones, probably like Kaiser too, your, your uh, malpractice is paid for. Um, also make sure your ACLS, ATLS, PALS is all up to date because you can't work until all that's done. And they want documentation of that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so they want like when you had, when we get those cards, you know, after ACTLS or ATLS, they give you those little cards. You need to have documentation of all that. So save that stuff. You have a question? Yeah. So what, for instance, like in the past three months, mm -hmm. what are things that all of a sudden became within quote unquote your scope of practice that you didn't necessarily have to do during residency here because you had access to all the consultants aside from calling GI to like scope this lady. You mean outside, like, what was I? Like, you know, things that here we would just call the specialist to come do. What did you all of a sudden find yourself um, having? Mostly ortho. ortho. So you're definitely reducing all your, all your fractures. Um, we fortunately do have ortho <coughs> at our <coughs> hospital, but um, they'll never come in to see the patient. Just reduce it, send it, send it to me in the morning kind of thing. Did you, you feel that you were prepared to reduce that reduction? Absolutely fine. Everything was fine. There's, <coughs> I mean, they're the common fractures. There's, there's like shoulder dislocations. There's colleagues fractures that we're reducing. Um, boxers. Yeah, then you're calling ortho. What do you want me to do? Oh, splint him? Send him to you? Okay, fine. You put his name around the chart and you send him. <laughs> yeah, that's all you do. The ortho stuff is rarely, rarely acute management, you know. Unless it's an open fracture, then they come in. But um, I had one, I feel bad admitting this, but. We had a patellar dislocation that I could not reduce. I don't know what was wrong with it. We CT'd it, and it was just read as a patellar dislocation. And we used conscious sedation, everything, and we could not pop this thing back in. So I called the, I called the orthopod that's on, and he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, man. He's like, all right, we'll take him to the ER. So anyway. <laughs> um, but other than that, it's, it's pretty basic stuff. And if you ever have a question, at least at Garden Grove, if you have a question, you can always call the orthopod. And they'll give you advice. Um, but primarily ortho. Other than that, um, we never do paracentesis. That's all radiology. Really? Do you need the outpatient scheduled visits to the ED every month? I'm like, just go to UCI. Go to UCI. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so they, they allow ketamine now. Oh, yeah, really? so they didn't have ketamine. So it was all automate. So I was very oh. nervous. So I was very nervous. I don't know who remembers this, but I was very nervous because all our trainings and basically ketamine and propofol. So propofol is okay, but ketamine was like my go-to while I was here, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we can't do that." My, during my interview, he's like, "Oh yeah, we don't do that." Why can't they? Why would they ketamine? Well, now they do because an anesthesiologist. It's in the it's in the OR. The anesthesiologist is the only one that has access to it. <laughs> Within the two months or so, though, before from my interview to my work, they allow it now. So. Stoked. It used to just be a tomate. So anyway, it didn't work, so the guy went to the OR. But otherwise, just ortho would be primarily. I wish we had a little bit more um, exposure to ortho, Megan. That would be probably my only thing. But we have we have techs that splint. Um, so in other words, like even though, and this is kind of how I felt too last year when I was at Stanford, even though we had pretty good ortho. But like even though you don't really get a ton of reductions at UCI, I would say we're, that's probably one of our weaker areas. Mm -hmm. You know, a, a reduction is a reduction is a reduction. Yeah, you it's know, really straightforward. You're going to get <laughs> yeah. the things that you need to do. Mm -hmm. So if you're consciously sedating, like yesterday I had a hip, uh, like a prosthetic hip dislocation. Yeah, how did that go about? So, <laughs> <laughs> so would you, um, it went in. 
Okay. After, after Sweet. Stop, after stop rooting. Um, <laughs> would you be doing both consciousness and the reduction at the same time? Yes. Yeah. So you have an RT there. Yeah, you have an RT. Yeah. You have an RT and a nurse. Single coverage. So yeah, let me tell you. Lax are your nemesis. It is a, when you get a bad lack, that just destroys your rhythm, you know? We have 12 beds and three hospital, or three hospital, three uh, hallway, like chair beds. Plus the waiting room. So yeah, you're just, you'll be getting slammed, and then you'll see lack. And then if you get a bad one, you're screwed. But that's how it is. I'll talk a little bit about the, hospital, the garden grove. Um, Actually, it's a good segue. Help you speak I'm sorry, I'm like no, no, no. That's yeah. I only have like three more slides, so please. Oh, okay. So yeah, very important to have the nurse, the nursing staff. They irrigate everything, so they'll irrigate the wound. Um, they'll just you can type into our our EMR is a little bit different, but you can type in exactly what you want. What size your gloves are, the sutures you want, lidocaine. They irrigate it, and it's all ready to go. So that helps. Um, and then basically, <laughs> other than that, I mean, you're just, you're, you just do as fast as you can. Just the best thing I can tell you to do is just make sure the nurse has everything ready. Because yeah. the last thing you want to do is go over there and you don't have lidocaine, or it's not irrigated, or you're, you don't have sutures. Um, that's pretty much it, and then you just got to do it. What are some, um, so, you were always very good with patient relationships and things like that. But I know Thank you. Different <laughs> <laughs> a resident to an attending. So what are, do you find anything different about now that you're like So everyone, everyone thinks I'm either the RT or the nurse. I think it's because of my boyish good looks. But uh, no one believes I'm the doctor, so I have to introduce myself every time as doctor. I used to do it as a resident too, but they still don't believe me. Um, the transition for me was not an issue. Um, I don't know. I just, same kind of stuff. You just walked in with a surfboard to save the day every <laughs> single time. Every time. No, but I think, um, I'll talk a little bit about this in a minute, but <coughs> the, um, the hospital, so you're representing the hospital and it's a business. And so you get feedback. If they send out flyers at CEP in Garden Grove and they, if, if you get a bad um, survey, you get a phone call from the director saying, what happened? Call this patient back. <coughs> it's happened to me once. Yeah. Because <laughs> this lady came in with a bowel obstruction, and she thought it was due to her Vicodin, taking her Vicodin. Um, but it was clearly a bowel obstruction. There's a transition point on CT scan. And she wanted me to document that it was potentially caused by Vicodin. And I'm like, no, it's not. It has nothing to do with that. Um, and she didn't like that, and so she sent in a letter saying I was not a good doctor or something. Anyway, so I had to call her back, though. I mean, even though she's obviously wrong, I had to call her back and, like, smooth everything out and apologize. But you got to expect, I mean, you got to do that. Um, what else? Did that answer your question? Not really. Do you got a system for callbacks? Not at Garden Grove, but other CEP hospitals, they do. Um, when I was, a, I was a scribe before medical school, and I had to do callbacks. <clears throat> the face sheets of all the patients that were discharged were lined up, and basically you had to do 10 a day every, every scribe shift, and they had the, the scribes had to do it. And they call back and just make, every, make sure everything's cool. But we don't do that at Garden Grove. 
But you get like lab notifications or whatever critical. Oh yeah. Every, every morning. So the morning doctor, so it's 6 to 2, and then 1 to 10, so there's one hour overlap, and then 10 to 6 a.m. Those are the hours. The morning shift doctor has to do, <coughs> at about 8 or so, the, the microbiology department prints out all the labs, all the cultures that are coming back, and you've got to call them during the day at some point. Make sure everything's good, make sure they're properly covered. It's a nightmare. It's like my least favorite thing. Call in additional prescriptions. But it's a bummer. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like that. You know, you're super busy and you're <laughs> oh, I hate it. Um, so, yeah, yeah, we do. No, we sign out. Yeah. So, Garden Grove, uh, there's 1,200 beds, there's three hallway beds. We're, they want us to see between two and three patients an hour, and that's basically where I'm at. We just had our kind of quarter review, and I was like two and a half patients, so I was right on track. Um, the, we admit about 15% of our patients. It's single coverage the whole day. We do have a PA that comes in at 3 o'clock and goes home at midnight. Um, so that helps out a ton. <coughs> our little hospital has an ICU and OR. They have OBGYN, and then therefore they need a NICU. Is that PA present? What's that? No. No. So it's really scary. You know, it's, it's actually kind of similar to Long Beach. You know, the... Winners, what's it called? What was it? Winners Overflow or something like that? So all those, those are all PAs in there doing their thing. They don't even talk to the doctor. And all those, all the PAs, patients, are being signed by the doctor even though they haven't seen them. So yeah, you're liable for that. So you have to sign all of their... Yeah, you sign their, their charts. And, um, but they're good. I mean, they're, they're not going to, they're smart. But it's scary. How often do they consult? Um, because uh, I worked at a place like that too when I was moonlighting as a fellow, mm -hmm. and somebody said, "Well, how do you feel about signing the PA's charts?" And I said, "Well, when they when they call me to actually see a patient, they usually got a really good good reason yeah. for it." And they said, "Well, how about all the patients that they should have called you?" Mm -hmm. That's true. <laughs> so yeah, you, you gotta <coughs> you you really gotta trust your PAs, <laughs> but the the really sick patients that come in the doctor sees anyway. Um, if they do feel over their head, they're, they're, we make sure they know to come talk to us. Um, if there's CT scans or x-rays, by the way, you read your all, all your own x-rays. So if there's x-rays that you don't understand, or if they don't understand, or you know, they just want a second opinion, they'll ask. So maybe, maybe two or three patients a day, they'll ask me, they'll consult me. So radiology seems like the best job ever. So it's this guy, Dr. Fesky, he's super cool. He comes in at 8 o'clock and he leaves at 3 every day. <coughs> and um, you are, so after that stat rad, I, I don't know if we sent it to Indy or San, San Diego or somewhere, but anyway, CTs, MRIs, those kind of things are read at a timely fashion, maybe within an hour or so, you'll get the reads back. X-rays will not be read till the following day. If you have a question, like maybe there's a tibial plateau fracture and you can't really see, and uh, I don't know, you, you can call the, the stat rad doc and just put a, you know, put a verbal order saying this is acute, I need to know. <coughs> or you can just get a CAT scan, <coughs> which is what I always do. <laughs> but um, yeah, from th so he's gone at 3. During the day, he's really good. You can call him. He's like, what do you see? Salter Harris fracture? No. Okay, good. Um, but yeah, when he's gone, you're on your own doing X, all kinds of x-rays, 
pretty much. Not just chest x-rays, everything. But CTs are, are uh, red. Um, so here's our little call panel. OB, surgery, neurosurgery, ENT. Oh, the neurosurgeon was, is a Dr. Chapel. Do you guys remember Dr. Chapel? Didn't he get, didn't he get fired? Anyway. Anyway. He left when he saw how great his residents were. So anyway, these are, our, these are our specialties. And I find that I need GI, psych, and neurology probably the most. What do you do about psych patients? So the psych patients are a nightmare, too, because <laughs> they sit in our ER for probably day, sometimes two days. There's no way, nowhere for them to go. They have no insurance. They need to be stable. See it, Archos? <clears throat> they need to be stabilized, which obviously takes two seconds to look at them. Vital signs are stable. They want all the labs done um, to be cleared. Once they're cleared, then we get this guy named Tom that comes out. It's usually this guy, Tom, who comes out, evaluates <laughs> him, and deems him either you know, gravely disabled or suicidal, needs hospital admission, that kind of thing, or can be discharged. That take, he takes two hours to do his thing. And then if, he need, if the patient needs to be admitted, that's not his deal. So then we have to get a bed, either ETS, or we're having the secretary just call all the different psych you know, facilities around. And it's not uncommon for these patients to sit over a day, over two days in our year. And we only have 12 beds, so it's like huge. Does that change anything, though, having like a psych? A psychiatrist there, though? Because in the end, the patient's still stuck there, regardless of... Probably not, yeah. If we, well, that's true. But we would have the answer whether or not, you know, the patient needed... We'd have the psych console. Like UCI, you call psych, they're down here, and they can give you a dispo within, I don't know, pretty quick. Yeah, usually it does take a little while. But it's not two days, you know, and it's... At least we can admit at UCI. If we can't at admit at... discharge home. Right, right, yeah. But they're by far the... You see a psych patient, you're like, oh, man. Suicidal, really? Are you sure? <laughs> Let me give you some morphine. What do you do? What do you <laughs> what about yeah. Yeah, they do. Um, a lot of times, though, they want the blessing by the ER doctor before they go up. I've been in a code before, and a lady, they literally made the, the lady, like, wait till the code was over, and they, like, pushing her to the elevator, and they just made her wait right there just so I could look at her. <laughs> After the code, the code took half an hour, and they were just, I don't know, stupid. Speaking anyway. of codes, I heard that you also run codes in the hospital, or sometimes you run codes in the hospital. Too. Yeah, all, no, you run all the codes in the hospital. So, so I'll, yeah, I'll talk, that's okay. like the next slide, I think. Sorry. No, no, no. That's, yeah. Uh, do you ever have a hard time getting, say, like ENT to come in for like an underinsured patient or like that ortho guy you, when you're calling ortho, do they want insurance status? Oh, yeah. So that's another thing I'm going to talk about. <clears throat> Actually, the next slide. So the big major changes, number one, is the patient's ins insurance and PMD is probably the, the most important thing for everything. So I start out my presentation when I'm trying to admit or consult somebody. My first thing I say is the patient's insurance and the patient's regular doctor. And that is because patient is uninsured, they're the person on the other end of the line is trying everything they can not to admit this patient. So it's important for you, these borderline patients, before you make the phone call and you know they're uninsured, you need to be very nitpicky where they to Kipnik to 22 when they came in the, 
the ER. <laughs> There's a little bit of a questionable pneumonia on the x-ray. There's a creatinine 1.6, you know, are you worried about this patient? You, you just got to spin it like you're kind of worried, you know, you don't want to send the patient home. It's really important for the uninsured patients because um, they're going to look at everything you're telling them and try any way to put holes in your reasoning and discharge them. So. Um, and that's true for internal medicine as well as the Everybody. Surgery, ENT, everybody. Um, Oh, I document the hell out of it. Yeah, the the other doctor's name for sure. Yeah, if they yeah, and then but I mean you can always keep if it's not too busy you can keep the patient in the ER. I've done that a couple times where the I didn't have an admitting doctor, and I was kind of worried. I forget what it was, but we just kept the patient overnight for six hour obs or so, and then just they felt better in the middle. But you can always do that. Um, so the nursing staff, I don't know if this is just unique to Garden Grove, but is very, very inexperienced, it seems like. They're very young and they make mistakes. And we had a patient with a brain bleed that we actually sent it here. But when we got the CAT scan back, saw the bleed, and he started seizing. And I'm looking at the guy seizing, I'm going over to the guy's bed, and the nurse is sitting there hitting on one of the paramedics with her back to her patient. I literally had to grab her shoulders and go, you need to get out of van. This guy's got a brain bleed and he's seizing right now. And she's like, okay, sorry. <laughs> but uh, the other thing with the nurses too, and I think this is, I was talking to Popa who works at a similar hospital. If you don't order it, like it's not going to happen. At UCI, someone comes in with chest pain, you get the EKG, you get the aspirin, tropes, like all the labs are done. It's like, that does not happen. It's you. You need to put the order in. Know that we will not take verbal orders unless it's like a code. Um, so, so it literally is like the mantra. Yeah. You, you need yeah. You need to enter the you need to enter the orders in the in the computer before they'll do anything. Um, so that becomes a problem. You'll find that you're able to move patients faster, so you you know, you're not presenting to the attending, so um, they're not gonna make you do a psychiatric workup on someone with a toe pain, which has happened to me. <laughs> so now you just you know you have your you have your game plan and then you just go with that and sometimes the attendings want you to do other things and it's good but um, you don't have that so it's just quicker. Um, transferring patients is very new to me still. Uh, the the secretary at Garden Grove takes care of everything for us so they know you know we have a STEMI we need a nine one one this patient. Or um, the other option is the transfer center. We call and make sure we have an accepting doctor. Um, they know how to do it. So, I, so what I do is I call cardiology. Um, I fax. <coughs> I never do anything without like a, the consult giving me the okay. I don't know if that's wrong. If I have time. So if the guy comes in and he's, there's EKG changes, he's got SC segment elevation, I'll, we have very good cardiologists. Um, and I ha we have the fax number, so I'll fax it, call him, be like, what do you think? He's like, yeah, STEMI. And then we'll, st we'll talk. I haven't pushed anything. I haven't pushed TPA, but um, I think I've transferred one patient to UCI. But anyway, <coughs> I get his recs, and then we basically send him 911, or we admit him. Mm -hmm. So you call 911 every time? 911 if the patient's having a STEMI, and they need to go to the cath lab. Or like brain bleed or something super urgent like that. 
You no, know, you need to do transfer center for that because, well, I'll talk to Chapel and I'll see what he wants. And <coughs> nine times out of ten, he won't want to do surgery, but um, the family will want everything done. So they'll, the family usually makes a decision to transfer to UCI. So then what I do is get on the, the phone with the, tra the transfer center is really fast too. You call the transfer center, you have a neurosurgeon like quick. Yeah. And so, yeah, and then, and then that's right, and then probably goes to the ED, and then they're like, oh, Dr. Prey or whoever. Oh, I didn't, I didn't take that patient. I'm not taking them. Admit to medicine. Um, so, yeah, that's how that works, the transfer center. It's probably different for every hospital you work at, but for ours, it's, it's uh, 911 or the transfer center. And your secretary will likely take care of all that stuff. Um, Yeah, they they actually, yeah, they actually do. Um, there's one doctor in particular, he's an ENT doctor, it takes forever. Um, but other than that, everyone's pretty quick. Yeah. Um, and again, what I was saying earlier, you're part of a business when you get out there if you decide to work for a community, um, community hospital. So you're expected to do, you know, your billing, not CEP, but other people, you know, um, like, like Popa, if you're working per diem, sometimes you have to do billing. Um, make sure your charts are perfect. Um, you'll get emails if you forgot, if you did like nine review systems, you need 10. I'll get an email saying you need to complete this. So, and the other thing is productivity. So you're monitored how many patients per hour you see. So we get good training here. I, th I feel like, I think I was average here, and I feel more than, I'm doing two and a half patients an hour there, so that was average for us. So. Um, yeah. Tyler, how yeah. does it feel to be at a single coverage place? There's no other physician. In the so at night, the yeah, at night you're the only doctor in the whole hospital. <clears throat> so, um, so it's scary initially. I mean, you're doing all the codes, but I mean, it's not that bad. It's not that big of a deal. Burn where there's a crashing patient in the ED and a code in the hospital at the same time. I've never had that yet, but. Everyone else. I'm like the newest one there. And they're like, oh, yeah, you're going to get two codes at one time. Popa had one. I was talking, we went to the, the um, basketball game last night. He was telling me he had, a, he had an ER code and a code in the ICU or somewhere. So he, so, so he called. So he did, I think he did the right. He just called up there and said, I, I have a code down here. I can't come. <laughs> 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 but um, yeah, I'll, t I'll talk about it. Actually, this, yeah, so. You're, you run all the codes in the hospital, um, day in and day out, like morning, night, afternoon, er, all day. Um, there is an intensivist, but he doesn't really do that for some reason. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, you got to be ready, and it is. It can get so frustrating. You have you know full waiting room, and you have like ten active patients, super busy behind in your charts, and you get a code, and you're like, are you kidding me? So you got to run up there. <laughs> You run out there, do your thing, and uh, sometimes those last 45 minutes, you go down there, there's, now there's like, yeah, yeah, I don't hear Harvey. Uh, but yeah, and then you get down there, and there's now there's 20 people in the waiting room. Everyone, all the patients are pissed because they're waiting so long. It's just, it's just part of the job, you know? You got to deal with it. How many people are you in the waiting room? Um, well, I've started a shift at 10 p.m. on like a Monday, and there's over 20 people in the waiting room. Um, yeah, and you intubate everybody on the floors, 
in the ER. So we intubate tons at Garden Grove. Um, for some reason, the intensivist doesn't want to intubate either. So during the day, too. <laughs> so during the day, when he's there, his name is Dr. Akeem. He's a great, he's very, very smart. He's a really nice guy. Um, but yeah, you're, you're going to be called up to intubate sometimes. <coughs> yeah, how do you know that guy? He makes, yeah, he makes tons. <laughs> so, yeah, but he's a uh, he's a good guy. And there's a there's OBGYN. So guess who's delivering the baby at night? Because the OBGYN can't make it. Me. Yeah. No, but I've been gowned ready, and then the guy like walks in. But it'll happen. I've only been there three months, and I was like, yeah. So. <laughs> so you can, if you work for Garden Grove, you can expect to do some deliveries too. Um, and the other big change, you have a lot more. I found I had a lot more free time. I don't know if it was just the obligations of being a resident, <coughs> research, what, but I have tons of free time. So I'm surfing a lot more. How much, how much time are you actually there? Your shifts are eight hours. Good. Yeah. So I usually probably spend, it kind of depends on what shift you're working. If you work overnight, you're gone at 6 a.m. usually because it kind of calms down at, you know, four in the morning or so, and you can do your charts. The afternoon, the swing shift is the busiest, so I'll probably have to stay an extra hour to do charting. And the morning shift is kind of hit or miss. Sometimes it's very busy. So it's single coverage. So do you ever like? So do you do you not stop seeing patients an hour before? You just no, I see patients. Well, that depends. Like chest pain, if they're sick, yeah, you're going to see that patient uh, to the end. But <clears throat> if there's a patient that comes in, you know, half an hour before your shifts end, it's abdominal pain. You can just order labs. I wouldn't see that patient. Because you're signing everything out anyways. Mm. Yeah. It's just a judgment call. Some of the docs see patients all the way up until the last minute. But um, it's whatever you want to do. If you're super busy, you have like 10 charts to do, then it's reasonable not to see that one. You're, and you don't have time to chart while you're on shift for the most part? Yeah, you do. You, you do. Um, you do. <laughs> what do you It's called Meditech. It's garbage. It's pretty. It's it's like um. Uh, I was gonna say it's kind of like TDS, but do you guys know TDS? Yeah. 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 It's pretty. It's a. It's like one step above TDS, I would say. But I mean, there's problems. I wanted to try. A lot of the CEP hospitals have Epic, and I was like, "What's up? Why can't we change?" But. We do, and I don't know off the top of my head. What's that? No, but we do have we have exit care. <coughs> the, the nurses do the exit care. Yeah, the nurses all do exit care, but there's no prescription writer, so all the prescription is I handwrite. Yeah. So the nurses write the return precautions. Yeah, <laughs> you tell them. You tell. Make sure you tell the patient, and then you just document in your chart. Okay. Told patient, come back for a worse headache and fever. So you have yeah, I don't use those though. No. Uh, I never use those as a resident either. Because the the differential, like for abdominal pain or something like I that. You those, but I'll do like I have my own doctor for discharge. Oh yeah, your own. Yeah, you can use your own. Yeah, patient, you yeah. Know, yeah. Uh, yeah, you can do that. You can, you can on our EMR too. Yeah, so there's a big push for to for insured patients to be admitted. So the, the hospital really wants insured patients to be admitted. 
within two hours. If they don't have insurance, then they want the patient out of the ER in two hours. Two hours is pretty much the cutoff. It hardly ever happens because, I mean, sometimes we're in the waiting room. Yeah, yeah. When it gets busy, it just, you know, it's just kind of a goal. Do you feel like it's busier than UCI? Like when you're working, do you feel like you're working at like a faster pace than UCI or about the same? Um, it's comparable. About the same. During the, during the swing shift when it gets really busy, <clears throat> it's a little bit more. But like a busy Monday afternoon, that's pretty much what it's like. Kind of esoterically speaking, do you miss having another doctor around? Yeah, yeah. You, it's, it'd be good to have someone be like, what do you think of this EKG kind of thing. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, it'd be good. But I'm telling you, it's not... It's overwhelming maybe the first maybe month. And then you really get in the groove. And I feel very, very comfortable at work. I don't, I don't have any. So you're with CEP, so there's a lot of hospitals. Is there like a point where they like transition you somewhere else and it's not at Garden Grove or it's single coverage? You can go wherever you want if there's a job. So I'm going to try to work. They encourage you to work at different hospitals, different sites. Um, I don't want to go. To, there's a bunch of jobs in the Inland Empire that are available. I don't want to go out there. So I'm hoping to get spots at like, Saddle, like uh, Saddleback or San Clemente. So I'm going to start in January. I, I emailed the director, who's Dr. Mark Taub, who's kind of a, he's a Laguna guy. He knows my older brother. And so hopefully I get my foot in the door, get a so shift there. you interviewed in spring mostly, right? Yeah. How did you just start that process? Yeah, so that's, yeah, so I was going to talk about that too, but I can just talk about it now. So the, Start early. The, the biggest recommendation I can give you is just start early. Um, you want to use your alumni and um, use the websites. And if you can, <coughs> contact the ED directors and just tell them, hey, I'm graduating. Is there any chance of a, of a job opening up? A lot of times they'll say no, but we'll interview you. I went on maybe five interviews. And three of the ones I went on, they're like, well, we don't have a spot, but we'll interview you. And if anything comes up, then we'll maybe hire you. So I went on three interviews not expecting a job right away. The other thing you're going to find is when you, as well, in my, I only went through it one time, but when I was applying, there was no jobs in Orange County. I'm like, oh, man. But you'll see, you know, as time continues, they just open up. Um, I, was tur I turned down four jobs in the area. Really? Yeah. So they just open up. You just got to be patient. Um, why is he working per diem? Because he, he doesn't know where he wants to end up. Like, I, was, I just surfed with him today, and he, want, he doesn't know if he wants to go to Hawaii. He, doesn't wanna, he, does, he might want to check out Santa Barbara. Um, so working per diem, you, wake, you make more money, and you're not obligated to you know, commit to any hospital. So it makes sense for him, but I'm not going anywhere. So, uh, Any other questions? No? Okay. So I just had some, rec I'll, I'll touch on that in a minute, but um, some recommendations. For, so for the first years, what I'd recommend is to make sure you continue to push yourself, get out of your comfort zone. If you're comfortable seeing five patients right now, having five patients, next shift, see six, and then, you know, see six for a while, and then you go to seven, that kind of thing. Um, keep updating your procedure log. <laughs> um, I definitely didn't, and it was uh, difficult during my third year. Um, <laughs> 
Second years. Um, so take responsibility for your patients. Make sure by now you should have like your plan um, and pretty much what you're gonna, how you're gonna work the patient up. Priority even seeing the attending, and then the attending should be putting in like little tidbits. But um, you should be on your way. Figure out where you, what kind of job fits you at this point. Do you want to work in academics? Do you like teaching? Where do you want to live? That kind of thing. Start thinking about that now. And then for the third years, you need to start preparing your CV. Um, a cover letter is very important. Um, one thing about the cover letter, um, I had a cover letter for every hospital that I submitted my CV to. It's not, you don't have to redo the whole thing. You just change it, like put in Kaiser here, put in Garden Grove here kind of thing. You know, just take it out and just change it a little bit. And then get on your letters of rec early because, as we know, some, some people like to take their time writing letters. So anyway. Um, and then start early, like in January, I would start this process, try to get things set up for you. Um, talk to alumni. We have them all, all over the state. Um, and then use Dr. Osborne and, and BC to get you know, their numbers. You can always talk to me. Um, make sure you have your insurance, your, uh, you know, your malprac and all that kind of squared away. If you, need, if, you, if you don't join a partnership that they don't fund that, you need to do that yourself. And you, you need to have this before you can work. What I did uh, is use an agent. It's totally free. His name is Chris Tate. I don't know if you guys know this guy, but he used to, he knows a lot of the faculty here, and he was awesome. We met at um, Alcatraz for a couple beers, and I think Sype was there, and I think Mervis came. But anyway, he's just like, yeah, here's, here's my, my card, and I, I just emailed him, and he set me up with disability insurance and medical insurance. I didn't have to spend a second on it. He's like, send me a packet. I just initialed it. Didn't cost me a dime. So I'd recommend doing that. Um, he doesn't do malpractice insurance, unfortunately, but... Um, you have to carry your own, or CP covers yours, right? CP, yeah, they pay for it, yeah. So, and then I just want to add one more thing. So, BC and I get called, um, oftentimes when you guys apply somewhere, and they want us to tell them over the phone how good you guys And obviously, we love all of you, but obviously there's some distinctions that have to be made. Um, and just, like, things, they ask specific things, like, how good are you with patient satisfaction? And, you know, like how satisfied are the patients, and they ask things like how quick you are, and like how well you return emails types of, they don't specifically ask those questions, but they kind of allude to that type of stuff. So just for residency, you know, for BC and I, you know, make sure you're answering emails from us, and make sure things are getting turned in on time, and make sure that, you know, you're not ticking patients off in the ER, and, and obviously those are just some things yeah. that community hospitals Oh yeah. You'll get, you'll get called by your director like the next day if you get a complaint. I imagine that's true for all the hospitals in the community. Cool. Any other questions? That's it. And this is Mr. Whiskers. Oh, Mr. Whiskers. This is him. I know. See, now he's a cat. <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> yeah. This is him when he was, I think he was like on the left. I think he was like eight weeks or something. Yeah. Anyway, that's all I got for you. Um, feel free to email me um, anytime, really. I'll get back to you.